God, we come before you trusting you, knowing that you are good, knowing that you are sovereign, knowing that today is in your hands. And God, as we have just sang, we pray that you are magnified, not just for an hour on a Sunday morning, but through everything that we do throughout our days, throughout our weeks. Lord, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, the peace of Israel, as you have commanded us to do. Lord, again, we know that you are sovereign and that you are good and that you can work all things together for the good of those who love you. Lord, I pray for the sick, the hurting, those that are unable to make it to today's service because of sickness. Lord, comfort them, be with them. Remind them that worship doesn't just take place in a church, but it could take place in a hospital bed. And Lord, we ask that you allow me to become less so that you can become more, that your name be magnified. Lord, for the person that's in here today for the first time in a while, or that's scrolling through their social media feed and happens to stop on this video, we pray that they, they see you for who you are, your goodness, but both in spirit and in truth. God, I pray that this message falls on softened hearts, that those listening are receptive and willing to change for your glory. And God, we pray, of course, that you get the glory, you and you alone. Through your son, Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Man, negative seven outside, and you all still show up. Look at this. You wouldn't even know the difference. I applaud you, really. God bless each and every one of you for coming. Now, as you, as you go out in the world and you begin to share the message of the gospel, you'll notice that there is a huge movement and much attention that is given to the role of woman in the life of the Christian. Through simply scrolling through your social media feeds and reading headlines on secular blogs, you'll see that Christianity is so quickly looked at as a religion that, one, that seems to be one that is against women and, any essential, and, and them having any essential role at all. So before we get into the message, we have to be clear, we have to clear the air and, and iron out some really essential details that relate to women in the Christian faith. From a distance, as I said, one can make the assumption that Christianity comes off as a religion that almost hates women. It, it's almost like it appears, that, and some will criticize it in this way, that it tells them to sit down, shut up, and listen to your husband. But this is so far from the truth. And it doesn't take long for you to get serious in your faith to see this and to realize this. You see, at the time of Christ's ministry, women were to do little outside of the home, and, and they had a minimal role in the overall function of society. Their main purpose was to be faithful to whatever their husbands desired. Oftentimes, they weren't even allowed to choose who their husbands were and this was determined by the father, again, the man. But as Jesus often did, he absolutely shattered any standards of neglect to women. 
And he even went as far as prioritizing them throughout his ministry. Women were the first to find out that Christ resurrected from the dead. Christ demonstrated his miracles and, and he forgave the sins of women multiple times throughout his ministry. And, and many women followed Jesus even as closely as his disciples did. I point out these details to demonstrate to you that God does not simply tolerate women. He absolutely adores them. They have just as essential of a role in the kingdom of God as any man. Christ didn't come to talk business with men and then talk down to women. He came with the view that both men and women are created in the image of God, and he cared for them as such. He didn't look at a woman and say, well, I only care about you if you're married or if you are serving in ministry. No, instead, he said things like this, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Or when thrown in front of him for being caught in the act of adultery, he said, neither do I condemn you. Go in peace and sin no longer. This was absolutely radical for the time of Jesus. So for this morning, we're going to be in 1 Peter 3. I'm very excited to get back into our study of 1 Peter we got a long road ahead of us as we dive into this text. You know, we took off a couple months for Advent and, and for our vision service last week, but now we're getting back into it, and, and we're going to take our time. So please, I, I encourage you as we go through it here at church, don't, please feel free to read ahead to see where we're going to go in the weeks to come. But we're in 1 Peter 3 this morning. We're going to be talking about, uh, we're going to be going through verses 1 through 7. Godly submission is the title for us this morning. Godly submission, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. We'll start by reading verses 1 and 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. <clears throat> When they see your respectful and pure conduct. I'm going to make a point here. Don't just don't put it up just yet, Abby. Hang on one second. I'm going to make a point here. And if I was to say this 10 years ago, you all would look at me and say, Ryan, that is very surface level. We are here to go deep. Many of you are going to hear it and say, no kidding. But today... Believe it or not, the point that I'm going to make is absolutely radical, and it causes church division. But no matter what the world tells you, or so-called Bible-believing Christians, this point holds true, and it always will on this side of eternity. You could put it up. Point number one is this. Marriage is between one man and one woman. One man and one woman. Marriage is God's and God's alone. Okay, God is the creator of marriage. He established it with the creation of Adam and Eve to be between what? One man 
and one woman. When you're out in the world and you hear that certain states or nations have legalized homosexual marriage, it's not a marriage that's being legalized. It's something that's created by man. Why? Because marriage is, is created by God. Just because it's legalized by men or affirmed by them doesn't mean it's approved of by God. So many don't see any direct words or verses within the Bible that, that speak against the issue of homosexuality or monogamy and begin to say, well, the Bible doesn't say it's wrong, so I can do that if I want. So you have to look at it through the lens of Peter. The Bible doesn't say that it's wrong because it assumes that you know that. The Bible also doesn't say that you shouldn't smoke meth. But do you use that as an excuse to justify your drug habit? Peter doesn't condemn anything outside of marriage between one man and one woman because the readers at the time of this writing are fully aware of the sin that is involved with anything that's not. Now you're saying, Ryan, well, the, the Pope... He recently gave his official blessing on same-sex marriage. Well, I want to tell you that I don't care what the Pope says. I care what my Bible says. And it's my Bible that says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. If people are being led astray because of the false lies and teachings of the Pope, then shame on him for going directly against the teachings of the Bible, and shame on those that follow him. You see, that's the exact reason that you never put your hope and faith in a person, but rather in Jesus Christ and the Bible. And please, for heaven's sake, read your Bible. Study to show thyself approved unto God, not man. Because there will be a day where you will be face to face with Jesus, and he's, gonna ask you, he's not going to ask you, well, what did the Pope believe? He's going to ask, what did you believe? And how did you stand for that? And what did you do about it? That's enough. I don't want to belabor the point. But you get it. Marriage, we have to clear the air with what we believe here at Hope Community Church. Marriage is between one man and one woman. Okay, we're on the same page. Now we can talk. Let's look at verses 3 through 6. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Point number two is this, godly identity is found in Christ and Christ alone. It's found in Christ and Christ alone. Peter is not saying here that women are to completely neglect their physical appearance. He's saying that it shouldn't be the priority. 
he's saying that if you're finding your identity in the way that you look, rather than who you look to, your priorities are out of whack. But this goes both ways. Women shouldn't be striving for looks and external beauty, but men shouldn't be lusting over it either. It's a double standard. Setting your eyes on someone solely on the way that they look gets you set up for danger. Proverbs 31.30 says this, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but listen to this, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. It's simple. You see, when, when you fear the Lord above all else, you realize that you aren't so concerned with the, lay, the way that you physically look because Christ doesn't, and Christ isn't. Warren Wearsby, he said it like this, any husband is proud of a wife who is attractive, but the beauty must come from the heart, not the store. Let me assure you that it is absolutely okay to be, to care and, and to be concerned with your physical appearance, but it must not be prioritized above the condition of your heart. Now, the question that arises in the midst of our study here, and, and one that I found particularly interesting, why would Peter be writing to a group of believers in the midst of fleeing persecution about their physical appearance? And the reason that I found is this. The woman at this time slowly became more concerned with fitting in with their new culture than they did about being a witness for the sake of Christ. They wanted to fit in. They, they wanted to be seen and they wanted to be comfortable. But Peter was saying, that is not who we are. That's not who we are called to be. We are called to be people of God. That does not mean that we are called to fit in. in. In some cases, and in really most cases, it means the opposite. We're seeing this today with both men and women grabbing a hold of the, the latest fads, consumptionism, new trends every week. Turn on the news and you see people getting trampled for a Stanley Cup. I'm not talking about the hockey cup. People doing and, and participating in things that, that at the surface, they, they don't seem to be harmful. But if, you're, if you don't watch it carefully and if you don't keep your thumb on it, you can fall into a deep hole without even realizing it. What do I mean? Well, here's one example. Pronouns included in social media handles and caution taken when referring to a person because we don't want to assume gender. This is all a part of the culture and we're so quick to allow it. What we don't realize that is that by allowing it, we are actually affirming it. And when we affirm it, though we believe it's innocent, we are slowly but certainly straying away from the truth of God's word. Remember, one man, one woman, two genders. Though it seems irrelevant, I, I, I greatly applaud Peter for, for shedding light on, on what so many would look at as a minuscule detail and calling the church back to their identity in Christ. 
Because you start finding your identity in anything outside of Christ, you give the enemy a, a foothold in the door. And let me tell you, the enemy is not just satisfied with a foothold. He's not satisfied with just one foot. Godly identity is found in Christ and Christ alone. Let's look at the last verse, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Point number three, godly submission honors your spouse and glorifies Christ. Godly submission honors your spouse and glorifies God. It's, it's interesting how, how the world gets so offended by the male being the head of the house. Many have heard, the, have heard this, this hot topic word, feminism, in recent years. Now, I want to tread carefully here because this can so easily get taken out of context, okay? I am not against women. My wife says you probably should say that there. I am not against women. I love my wife dearly, and I, and I understand, trust me, the vital role that she plays in our marriage and our family. You can even look at the staff at our church, made up of strong, godly women. But with this issue comes trouble in that word, feminism. Worldly feminism is described as this, the advocacy of women's rights on the basis of the equality of the sexes. In other words, women can do what men can do, and men can do what women can do. But it's so interesting because once it comes time for childbirth, men want nothing to do with it. Um, maybe I'm speaking for myself. <laughs> but when it comes time for hard physical labor that involves God-given strength, a woman knows that a man is much more capable of it. The lie that we are falling into believing is that we can have one without the other. But we're called to unify we're called to fill the earth and subdue it and rule over it. God made man first and, and realized that he needed a helper because he couldn't do it by himself, and he created a woman. The role of this woman was not to equally rule, rule over the land, but rather to help the man rule over it. Now, godly feminism is fully understanding and living out God's call for your marriage by submitting to the leadership of the man. And this is when men must understand that being a true man of God is not forcing your, your wife into submission, but following after Christ with everything that you have, so much so that she willfully submits. 
Because my friend, let me tell you that if you have a woman that, that feels the need to be the leader of your house, you may have to look in the mirror and ask yourself whether or not you are stepping up to the plate. This is why Peter writes that men must give consideration to women to, to show honor to them since they are heirs with you. That's straight out of the Bible. And then he goes further to say, so that your prayers won't be hindered. In other words, if a happy wife means a happy life and a godly husband means an orderly home, Now, Peter spends about six verses here talking to the ladies, but he then keeps that one verse at the end for men. And as we have just read, this is absolutely packed with direction. Peter is aware of the consequences of a man that does not lead his family well. Maybe he's talking from experience. I would argue that the world is at where we are because too many men are not stepping up to the plate. They come home from a hard day at work while the wife has been at home with the kids and they crack open a can of Miller Lite and, and while the wife and mom works herself to the point of exhaustion trying to prepare dinner, clean the house, take care of the laundry after having already been home all day with the kids. You see, this not only forces the wife to lead the family, but it also forces division in the house. And division in the house equates to stress among the family, and if this is left unchecked for too long, you start to feel like enemies rather than partners. The world and its problems are far too difficult to take on without your spouse right there next to you and following Christ with you. And not just next to you, but Working through these problems with you, you're on the same team. So many believe, so many men believe that just being present is enough. Man, you can be present and never get off the couch. Man, being present is very tough. It's exhausting. But man, is it so rewarding. Don't just be present, be active. And be on the move towards the foot of the cross. Because when men lead this charge, the rest of the family follows. And that's, just, that's not just my opinion. That's a fact. Listen to this statistic. If the father does not go to church, but the mother does, usually two-thirds of their children will not attend. Another study revealed that when the father is the first in the family to come to Christ, 93% of the time, the rest of the family will follow. This demonstrates the God-given authority and leadership that is good for the entire family and most importantly, glorifying to God. We're going to wrap this up, but I got to say this. A godly husband works... A godly husband provides, a godly husband prays, a godly husband protects, and by doing this, a godly wife willingly submits. I firmly believe that God has placed the strong desire in women to 
find a man that will lead her closer to Christ, whether or not they realize it. But it's when you start saying that this must happen for you to be satisfied, that discontentment starts to kick in. Which then results in bitterness, anger, worldly feminism, that I can do it all on my own mentality. But you see, God didn't create marriage for our happiness, but for our holiness. So that we could become more like him together as we run to the foot of the cross every single day. Band, you guys could come on up. God, as we put into practice godly submission, remind us that it's not just as simple as telling a wife to submit, but it's truly chasing after you. It's deepening our relationship with you that we will then be able to deepen our relationship with one another. And God, for the soul that's here that is lacking contentment, lacking joy, because they are unable to find that spouse, God, show your face. Remind them that it's you that joy is found. As your word says, it's the joy of the Lord that's our strength. God, show your face to us as we go about our weeks. Use us, Lord. Allow us to boldly proclaim the truth of your word and not wavering from it. And God, ultimately, we say thank you. Thank you for your cross. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins, but not just dying, rising again three days later so that through faith in him, we can have eternal life. It's in his name that we pray these things. Amen.